0: I love worshiping with you guys. It's such a beautiful thing that we get to do, to hear one another sing the truth of who God is. Uh, I've referenced this quote a bunch of times, but I think it's very important. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in his book Life Together that sometimes the Christ in the word of our brother is stronger than the Christ in our own heart. Sometimes we need someone else to sing the truth. We need someone else to say it to us before we can really believe it. It's a beautiful thing that we get to do, to worship together. We're going to be in Acts chapter 10 again this morning. This is our last week looking at the same 25-ish verses from the book of Acts. Uh, and you might have noticed this, that we haven't really said it explicitly, but it's probably been pretty obvious. In this text, what we're seeing is home, family, family. And, purpose. and I hope that you've noticed this, that these things are not just like phrases that we've attached to the wall that we would also like embroider onto a throw pillow or something like that. These are phrases that are connected to the story of Scripture. that are actually anchored in the whole narrative of Scripture. When we look at what God's doing in the world, when we look at what humans are made for in the world, these three words are ways that we can talk about it. Home family, and purpose. They are core to the story of scripture. They're not just, not just things that we thought sounded good to put on the wall. So today, as we're kind of concluding this mini-series, we're looking at the idea of purpose. So Acts chapter 10, we're starting in the second half of verse 23. Um, while you're turning there, Um, If you might remember this, the first half of this story is about Peter. Peter is hungry, and he goes into a trance. That's what the story says. Yes, it's weird. I don't know exactly what that means, but he was hungry. He went up on the roof, and he went into a trance. And it says, in the trance, he saw a sheet come down from heaven that had a bunch of animals on it, and he had a voice that we assume is the Lord. The voice says, kill and eat. Peter says, no, I've never eaten anything unclean. I've never done that. The voice says to him three times, do not call anything unclean that the Lord has made clean. Peter comes out of his trance. We assume that he's thinking, what in the world did that mean? And there's a knock at the door. The people that are at the door are people that would have been participating in unclean things. They would have done things that would have made them ceremonially unclean for a Jewish person. So Peter's like, huh, I wonder if this had something to do with the dream. Peter invites them in. That's where we're picking up the story. Sound good? All right. Second half of verse 23, the next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Pause. Once again, if you are following a Christian leader who is keeping glory and keeping honor and not giving it away, run away. Because the story of scripture is that those who have power, give it away. Those who have honor, give it away. Because we are just people ourselves. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So, when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered three days ago, Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Let's pray. God we gather again around this story asking that your name would be the name in our minds that your truth and your words is what we would focus on this morning that anything that's not from you would be revealed and forgotten but what is from you would land deeply in our hearts and form us into your likeness we trust you Jesus we love you amen uh, you might not know this about me, you probably couldn't tell it by looking at me, but I used to be a little bit of a baller back in the day, you know what I'm saying? Uh, had that sixth man position on the tiny Christian school team nailed down, right? Like, if they needed someone off the bench, I was the first call. Put me in, coach. That was me. I mean, my uh, basketball career just never really took off, you know what I mean? Like, basketball is such an insider's club, right? you got to get the right scouts in front of you. I could never get the right college's attention, that, and I never practiced, so... Um, that was a big part of it. I I mean, really though, if you're going to look at my like high school basketball career, you would have to say that that failed. Um, also in high school, uh, my dad actually is and was a professional kickboxer and martial artist. Yes, my daddy can whip your daddy, um. But he used to say, he taught karate, so I took martial arts with him. He used to say, you know, you've got so much potential in martial arts. If you would just apply yourself, you could go really far. But my martial arts career suffered from the same thing my basketball career did, which was an abhorrence of practicing when my dad did not make me practice. So, as you can imagine, I did not continue pursuing athletics into college. Um, I instead decided to try to get a few bands off the ground. So my freshman year of college, I was in a metal band. Right now i am transitioned into a music career. We played two whole shows. It was awesome. All of our friends were there. Only our friends were there. Um, ah, uh, you can probably imagine how that went based on the fact that I'm not on tour right now, my music career didn't go anywhere either. Um, I uh I also was in kind of an indie rock band for a while, but we did not get along with one another. Like the people in the band didn't really like hanging out and that really kind of killed the vibe of the band. Um but I graduated from college and I became a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor for 6 years. Yes, I survived. I did it. Um I was a youth pastor in one place for two years in South Dakota. I survived the winter in South Dakota, which is really the miracle. Have you ever seen negative 50? Yeah, I have. You don't want to. Um, Dante, if you've ever read Dante, he talked about the lowest circle of hell being ice. South Dakota in the winter. That's exactly what it's like. Um, I was there for two years. I was in Michigan for four years. Yeah, I was a youth pastor for about six years. But You know, I mean, honestly, I, I mean, I know people who... They were in youth ministry for 10 years, 20 years. People who have spent almost their entire career in youth ministry, which seems crazy to me. But they did it. I mean, they lasted. They made an impact. They've got generations of students that are saying, man, that person was so important to me. I guess, I mean, if you're just doing the math, I didn't really last in youth ministry. I mean, six years is something, but not really a career. So that... Kind of tanked as well. 2018, Jen and I had this crazy Holy Spirit encounter. We knew the Lord was calling us, um, calling us to be missionaries, calling us to change our trajectory in life, something that we had never really seriously talked about. Um, so we sold our house, and we quit our jobs, and we took our two-year-old and two dogs and moved to Asheville, North Carolina, where we lived in two separate basement apartments with a two-year-old and two dogs. And over the course of the two years that we worked as missionaries, we spent about three months total in India. While we were there, we saw, I mean, incredible things. We saw genuine miracles. I mean, the Holy Spirit move in powerful ways. Um, We saw the gospel being preached. We had the privilege of preaching the gospel in a place that, that, to the best of my knowledge, the gospel had never been preached before. And I, I don't, I'm, I do not think that those people had ever heard the story of Jesus before. It was incredible. The bummer is we were only there for three months to do the work. So, yeah, we had to come home. It's, I don't know, man. Maybe we missed the call. Maybe we misheard the Lord. I can feel the like sympathy in the room where some of you are like, CJ, you're not a failure. I promise, I promise, you're not. It's funny, the more we talk about life in terms of things that ended and we paint it as a failure, the more we realize that that's not really how life works, right? Because obviously, calling my basketball career in high school a career is extremely generous, right? Right? Uh, Like, I was never going to be an athlete. And believe it or not, no matter what 18-year-old CJ thinks, the fact that I am not touring with a metal band right now is not that much of a bummer. Okay? Like, I'm okay. Um, That is not much of a failure. And here's the thing. I was a youth pastor for six years. That was a beautiful season of my life. And it, it came to an end. And that's okay. Because God called us on to a different season. And obviously, the Holy Spirit was working in India through people from India for generations before we got there. And we'll be working there for generations after we left, right? The Holy Spirit wasn't waiting for me to show up. (laughs) Now CJ's here. I can do something. No, the Holy Spirit was like, all right, I guess I'll use whoever's here. (laughs) We happen to be there, right? In our culture, when we talk about purpose, it's such a convoluted concept. Yeah, I, someone at the fold actually shared a video on Instagram recently, um, and it was some author or thinker, I don't remember who the person was, but they were talking about, they were kind of joking about our culture's perception of purpose and how we're like, you've got to find your one thing, the one thing that you can do better than anyone else, and you've got to do it perfectly. You've got to be better than everyone else at it, and then you've got to get recognized for it, and then you've got to make money doing it, and then you've got to leave a, leg- leave a legacy, so people talk about you forever doing your one thing. That's how you know what your purpose is, and our culture Purpose is often tied to production. What am I doing for the world? What am I producing in the world? What, what job, what's my career in the world? What's my vocation in the world? And what that means is when something ends, we often feel a loss of purpose because our purpose was what we were producing. And when we're no longer producing that thing, guess what happened to our purpose? I was processing a sermon with a friend this week, and he, was, he mentioned uh, a book by uh, Peter Scazzaro, who's an author and pastor. The book's called Emotionally Healthy Leadership, and he talks about how in our world, in, in the American specifically culture, we are so scared of things ending. We cannot see an ending as a good thing. We can't see a transition as a positive because our idea of purpose is so deeply tied to what we do and what we produce and where we work and what people remember us for. Here's the first thing I want to tell you this morning. Your purpose has nothing to do with your potential and very little to do with your vocation. God does not love the person you're going to be. He's not planning to use the person you have potential to become. Your purpose is not tied to your potential. And it has very little to do with your vocation. Some of you heard that and it felt like a weight. Some of you heard that and it made you a little mad. It's okay. When we look at the story of Peter and Cornelius... We look at, as we've talked about so far in this mini-series, we're looking at multiple themes that have existed all throughout Scripture that seem to come to a head. They seem to collide in this story. We've talked about how in this story we see the barrier to entry of the kingdom of God. We see that revealed that it is just believing in the work of Jesus and surrender to his lordship, that sin is no longer the barrier to entry. We talked about how God is bringing his family back together across enemy lines, that now as followers of Jesus, we do not have the ability to have enemies anymore of people, that what unites us in the cross is significantly greater than what divides us in culture. We've seen that that was a theme present all throughout Scripture. And once again, as we look at this story, there's there's a theme that's coming together, and we have to go all the way back to the beginning of Scripture to see this. Now, you might remember a couple weeks ago we talked about how the authors of the beginning of the book of Genesis go into great detail to show us that That humanity interacting with sin is a family that's breaking apart. That it's a family that was together. You start off with one family and those families have kids and those kids eventually become nations and those nations eventually become enemies. And that God's story, much of scripture, is God working to reunite his family or to reunite his kingdom. This is the theme that we see all throughout scripture. And one of the pinnacle moments in the beginning of the Bible that reveals this theme is in Genesis chapter 11. And it's called the Tower of Babel or the Tower of Babel. If you want to do a deep dive into the Tower of Babel, I highly recommend the Bible Project podcast. They have got a, uh, first off, if you're thinking that's a story from a kid's book, it is such an interesting story. And most of those stories in the first 10 chapters of Genesis we see as like Noah's Ark in cartoons. They are way cooler than that, sometimes way darker than that for the record. I'm not sure why they make it into all the kids' books, but they're way cooler than that. Um, And you should do a deep dive at some point into the first 10 chapters of Genesis. But. This story specifically, uh, if you want to look at that, I almost forgot. If you want to do a deep dive, the Bible Project podcast, the episode is called What's So Bad About Babel. It's from December of 2020. I highly recommend it. But here's the summary. Humanity is united with one language. Unity is the goal, but this unity is coming through selfishness. It's coming through self-absorption. Anybody who's got even a cursory understanding of human history knows that power and unity, when combined with selfishness, is not a good thing does not usually lead to good results so at this point humanity is united in one language and they're working together to build what the story says is a city or a tower we don't know exactly what it is but it's really big it says it's got its head in the clouds we don't know exactly all of the implications of that story but here's what we do know it's got, a lot, it's got to do with a lot more than just a big tower in a big city. All right? It has to do with power. It has to do with maybe humanity building a God in their image or taking power into their image rather than humanity surrendering to the God in whose image that they were made. So God, in his mercy, looks at humanity and says, if they're united like this, if they're united the wrong way, then think of the damage they could do. So he scatters their languages. He divides the languages and scatters the people. Now, it's important to note that immediately after that, God calls Abraham and begins the work of reconciling. God calls Abraham and says, I will make you a nation, and through you all nations will be blessed. God immediately begins the work of reconciliation after this dispersion moment. As we look forward into the New Testament, as we move past the work of Jesus, because we believe through the cross, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are reconciled. What divided us is destroyed. After the death and resurrection of Jesus, we encounter Acts chapter 2. All right, I know this is a lot of information. Just keep rolling with me because this is going to be cool, I think. Acts chapter 2. The believers are united again. But this time they're not united, gaining power for themselves. They're united in humility, waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come as Jesus promised. Jesus has ascended into heaven, but he told them, wait, because the Holy Spirit's coming. This is a story that we call Pentecost. The early believers, the first Christians, are gathered in an upper room, and the Holy Spirit comes down. It's important to note that at the Tower of Babel, people were together building up towards heaven. They were united towards power. In this story, people were united in humility and prayer, and the opposite movement happens. The Holy Spirit comes down instead of people building up. And the Holy Spirit comes down and fire and wind happen. It's a crazy story, but something significant takes place. The Holy Spirit fills the believers, and the story says that the believers began to speak in different tongues. They began to speak in different languages. Because do you remember when the languages were confused? Which caused disunity. That through the work of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, the Tower of Babel is reversed... So that now the Holy Spirit crosses the divides that humanity cannot and brings unity. The Greek word there, there are lots of different um, interpretations and ideas of what the gift of tongues looks like in the modern church. We might do a deep dive into that someday. But for now, here's what we need to know. That word is translated literally languages. And basically everybody that studies it that I have read believes that what we're seeing here is the Holy Spirit undoing the work of Babel. It's a mark of mission that now the mission of God is For every tribe and tongue, all people are included in the mission. The Holy Spirit is crossing the gap that culture has divided. The Holy Spirit is crossing the divide that humans have created. Now, throughout the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit come on believers multiple times. Sometimes, when the Holy Spirit falls on believers, it is designated that they speak in tongues, this gift is given. Sometimes, it's not. So when we see this designation, it means something. And in the story of Cornelius, here's what we see. We see Cornelius, who is a Roman centurion, who is an enemy of God's people, who is working for the literal evil empire like Darth Vader and everything. He's working for the bad guys. The Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius and the people with him, these uncircumcised believers, And they are marked with the gift of tongues. They are marked for mission, they have a purpose. They're not just included in the family for the sake of diversity. This isn't tokenism. They're not here to look pretty. They're not just included to receive the gift. They are actually included to participate in the giving of the gift. Yes, they were enemies 20 minutes ago, but now they are co-laborers in the kingdom of God. They have a voice. They have something to say. They have work to do. They have a gift to give. They are included in the mission. They have a purpose. They are marked with the Holy Spirit to participate in the mission of God in concert with the Holy Spirit of God. Do you see how significant this is? He used to be an enemy, but now he's fighting on God's team. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. You are marked for mission. You have a purpose. And here's what that purpose is. To partner with the Holy Spirit wherever you are and whatever you're doing. One more time. You have a purpose. To partner with the Holy Spirit wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Now, here's what's funny. Some of you hear that, and this is probably the way I would hear that too, and you start imagining like youth conferences that you were at where everybody promised to like go to the nations and burn their skateboards and like never work real jobs and stuff. And and, and, and we heard sermons where we were sort of convinced that if we don't go, then everyone's going to hell. So even though we didn't know if we were called to go or not, we're like, yes, I'll go, right? It's like drill sergeant Jesus, right? And you've got to go, and you're starting to break out into sweat hives, stress hives every time we talk about purpose. Because the idea is we've got to go. We've got something to do. If we don't go, who will, right? Others of us hear this statement, your purpose is to partner with the Holy Spirit wherever you are, whatever you're doing. And you're thinking, is that all? Is that it? CJ, we've got stuff to do. We've got an impact to make. We've got people to reach. We've got stuff to do for the kingdom. Because we have these this two perspectives in the people of God when we talk about purpose. And one of them is kind of like God wants to do things. God wants to give you things. He wants to give you power. He wants to give you influence. He wants to give you money. He wants to make you happy. He wants you to be blessed. And then our other perspective of purpose in the kingdom of God is like drill sergeant Jesus. Like you are a Navy SEAL and Jesus is going to make you lay down everything you love so you can be an unbreakable Christian super operative. Anybody else felt that before? Is that just me? Yeah. Your purpose is to partner with the Holy Spirit wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Your purpose is to partner with the Holy Spirit wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Some of us have dedicated so much time and energy to trying to figure out what we're supposed to do with the rest of our lives. But the Holy Spirit is asking you to partner with Him right here, right now. Because your purpose has nothing to do with your potential. Your purpose can't be wasted. What I mean by that is you might have made a bunch of mistakes last year, it didn't nullify your purpose. You might have worked a job that you hate for five years. You still have a purpose. You might have wasted your good years partying. You still have a purpose. You might feel like your job just doesn't really make a difference in the world. You still have a purpose. Because your purpose is not restricted to a vocation. Your purpose is not really restricted to a location. Your purpose is to partner with the Holy Spirit wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Which means whatever you did yesterday, your purpose is still fresh for today because the Holy Spirit is still there and still doing things. Your purpose is to partner with the Holy Spirit. You know, something I think is really interesting about this story, we've talked about this for three weeks. So many significant theological ideas that are present all throughout Scripture collide in this story. They collide right here. And Cornelius is not mentioned again in the New Testament. He's not mentioned another time. Now, I'm not trying to make some big hermeneutical statement here. I don't think Luke is making a point. I just think Luke tells us this story and then is fine with not telling us what happens with Cornelius for the rest of the story. Cornelius isn't a significant enough character in the rest of the story for him to get a subplot in the book of Acts. Can you imagine if Cornelius got saved in the modern church? Man, he would make an I Am Second video, right? We would film his testimony and post it everywhere. He would be on a speaking tour with Tim Tebow. He'd be featured on Duck Dynasty, right? He would be everywhere. He would be the poster child of Christian culture because he was one of the enemies, but now he's working for us, right? Like he would be, we would make so much of him because he's got potential, right? Every church plant would say, you know what? Cornelius was a leader in the Roman military. This guy knows how to lead. We need him on our elder board recruit him right now because he's got potential and we need his vocation in the kingdom now but luke doesn't even tell us what happens the next day in cornelius's life because cornelius's everyday life was participating with the holy spirit wherever he was at we don't know if he plants a church we don't know if he becomes a missionary what we know is that he keeps just living his life in partnership with the holy spirit We spend so much time comparing ourselves to the main characters of Scripture, forgetting that Scripture is about the people who aren't the main characters. (laughs) I had a uh, a theology professor in college who said this, and it made me pretty mad when I first heard it. Um, He said, There are no more Pauls or Peters. The Bible has already been written. The church has already been established. They were called to a work that's already been done, and it doesn't need to be done again. And I was like, yeah, right, you haven't seen me. (laughs) Because there is nothing on earth more arrogant than a 19-year-old Bible student. As a recovering 19-year-old Bible student, I can say that. (laughs) We spend so much time. How many times have you read the Bible and thought, I am nothing like Paul? You're not supposed to be. (laughs) Paul was following Jesus, so are you. Paul had a specific... Paul was partnering with the Holy Spirit wherever he was at, whatever he was doing. The Holy Spirit just had a specific thing for Him to do. And the Holy Spirit has a specific thing for you to do wherever you are, wherever you at you're at. It might be your last day at the job that you're working. You've still got a job to you've still got a purpose there. We spend so much time equating purpose with production. What am I supposed to do in the world? What am I supposed to accomplish in the world? And then we wind up in this really dangerous place where as parents we might say, my purpose is for my kids to love Jesus. And then your kids make decisions that don't reflect what you would hope for them. And it feels like your purpose is robbed from you. Our our purpose might, we might feel like our purpose is to plant a church that grows to a specific size or reaches a specific group of people. But you know, there were a lot of church plants that did not survive the pandemic. And I just can't bring myself to look at them and say they missed their purpose. Because their purpose wasn't about what they produced. Listen, your purpose is not to start a company that will change the economic structure of modern America. If God uses you to do that, praise the Lord. Your purpose is to love your employees, <laughs> to partner with the Holy Spirit at your job. And if the business goes under, then your purpose will be to partner with the Holy Spirit to show an ethical, beautiful, loving way to release those employees into a new way of living, a new life. Ah, this is something I ha- I've had to wrestle with as, as, as a parent. So I look at my son and I realize I can't make him love Jesus. There's nothing I can do to do that. That's not my purpose. My purpose is to love him to the best of my ability and partner with the Holy Spirit as I raise my son. My purpose as I preach the gospel, as I preach the Bible here, is not to convince anyone in this room of a certain thing, (laughs) but just to partner with the Holy Spirit to the best of my ability. And whether I flop or not, to trust that the Holy Spirit is doing the work. Your purpose is not your production. Do you feel the freedom in that? Your purpose is not what you produce. Your purpose isn't in your potential, which means you can't waste it. So many of us look back on other seasons of our life and we think, I wasted my potential. What if I had made this decision? What if I had made that decision? What if I had gone a different direction in life? That wasn't your purpose. That other direction wasn't your purpose. Your purpose isn't something that's back then. Your purpose is something that's right now because your purpose is to partner with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is always present. The only way you can miss your purpose is just to keep forever ignoring the work of the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. If you were to miss it until your dying day and walk into eternity with Jesus, the cross over you would still say, well done. And you would have a beautiful purpose for eternity to partner with the Holy Spirit in the glorifying of God forever. Your purpose is to partner with the Holy Spirit wherever you are and whatever you're doing. No, that's not soft-selling the kingdom. We've got a mission. Yeah, we've got a mission. There are people who do not know about the love of Jesus. There are people who do not know that they're invited into such a beautiful purpose. The kingdom moves forward as individuals participate with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I could talk about this for a while. This is kind of a passion point for me, which this whole series has been, honestly. Um, But we spend, I, I hang out in, pastor circles and church leadership circles and I hear so many people all the time talk about movements and people will say we're primed for another big move of God we're primed for like a third great awakening which for the record if God wants to move in a huge revival across the country sign me up I'm here for that I'm not going to be like no (laughs) but I think it's interesting that we long for these big moves of God people talk about a third great awakening and if we need a third one that means the first and second one didn't stick right Because in the middle of all of these great moves of God, there have been individual believers moving the gospel forward in partnership with the Holy Spirit in their everyday lives. I had a friend recently who just proposed the question. He said, do you think the people in the first great awakening knew they were in a great awakening? Or do you think they were just following the Holy Spirit? Do you think no one called it an awakening until they were looking back on it? I think if there's a great move of God that's going to happen in our generation, we're just going to be living our everyday lives, and maybe someday people will look back and say, wow, I think God really did something for those millennial-ish people in the early 2000s. We might not know it until eternity. But praise the Lord for our partnership with the Holy Spirit wherever we are and whatever we're doing. Amen? You can release that pressure. You're not going to miss your purpose if you're partnering with the Holy Spirit. There's one last thing I want to say, because this is probably the the biggest question that gets asked around partnering with the Holy Spirit. Because this sounds really beautiful, right? Everybody likes the idea of partnering with the Holy Spirit. But when it gets right down to it, the question we ask is, how do I know what's the Holy Spirit and what isn't? And the only way I know to think about that is when I was a kid, me and my dad used to fish on a pier in the ocean, Myrtle Beach. Yeah? Amen? All right. Um, We used to... We would fish on the pier, and as a kid, I wanted to catch a fish more than anything. So the, the tide would come in, and the waves would move, and it would pull your line, right? So your rod would go up and down, and I would always think, I would always like jerk my rod thinking it was a fish every time that the rod would go up and down with the current. My dad would say, that's not a fish, but And I would say, how do I know when it's a fish? And my dad would say, oh, when you see a fish, you'll know. And, and he was right, of course, because it looks totally different. And we spend a lot of time in life wondering, is this the Holy Spirit? Isn't it the Holy Spirit? But I have found that when it's the Holy Spirit, we know. But I've also found that as a kid, even though I could tell the difference between a fish and a wave, it really helped for my dad to be there to say, that was a fish. So as you go through life in community participating with the family of God, and you're like, this feels like the Holy Spirit, this feels like the Holy Spirit, you're going to have people that you can go to and say, do you think this is what God's called me to do today? And they're going to say, that was the Holy Spirit. You're going to have other people who can confirm that with you. That's why it's home, family, and purpose. Purpose happens in family, with family, as part of the community of God. Your purpose is to participate with the Holy Spirit wherever you are and whatever you're doing. And that purpose is available to you today and tomorrow and everywhere you go and in everything you do. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you invite us into a beautiful, glorious purpose. We thank you that you have purposed from before time to reconcile all that was lost and heal that which was broken. And we thank you that we get to participate with you but we also thank you that we don't have to carry the pressure of doing it on our own. We ask that you would show us and tune our hearts to participate with you working around us in our homes, in our families, in our workplaces, that we would see a world that is alive with your spirit and find the joy of participating with with you. And we would release the pressure of feeling like we have to do it on our own. We love you. Amen.